Well, good morning. We have got about uh, just a few weeks from uh, today, I think maybe six or so, where we have our parenting series that's going to start over at the link, which is our community connection building next door. And I know our uh, advertising material has gone to the printer, so it'll be back uh, probably this week or next. And I want to appeal to you today to consider how you can help make this successful. And one of the greatest ways is if you will see Eric Schramm and ask him what parent is committed to teaching in the fall, beginning in September, that I can fill their spot so that they can go to this conference. And so that would be one of the best ways that you could help out. Uh, some other ways will be, be coming out here in the next few weeks. But uh, if you talk to Eric and ask him how you can make sure that a parent can go to this, uh, that would be great. And I know it would be very much appreciated. So we've been walking through uh, Hebrews 11, which is nicknamed uh, the great chapter of faith. And so uh, the recalling the men and the women who throughout their lives in face of great uncertainty have put their trust fully in God. It's living by faith as we've been looking at. And in reality, our entire life is based on faith. We put our, our faith, as we would say, use our, our terminology in a lot of different things. And, and it's impossible for us to live one day without faith in something or in someone. And so if you make an appointment with someone, you trust, you have faith that they're going to show up for that appointment. They're going to keep that appointment. When you get married or when you take a job or when you buy property, you're trusting in someone to, to, who's making a promise to you. When you get on the airplane, you're trusting the pilot, you're trusting the mechanics who keep that thing a service, you're trusting the, the company that manufactured that plane, a lot of different things go into that. When you get into your car, you're trusting other drivers to do what they're supposed to do. I guess we might call that blind trust, I don't know, or maybe misled trust. But even when we get dressed in the morning, we're putting our trust in the word of a weather forecaster. And so we, we take what they say... And we, we base our lives, our plans, on, on whatever that was. And we do that knowing that people can prove to be untrustworthy. We still put our trust in them, even knowing that somebody is going to let us down. We've seen them fail. We've experienced that failure. Planes have crashed. Boats have sunk. Life can change quickly and unexpectedly. People break their marriage vows and employers mislead you and buyers get ripped off. But God, but God, but God, he is the only one whose word is completely trustworthy. He's the only one who will never fail you. And so if we can trust one another with all of our failures, all of our disappointments, all of our letdowns, how could we not trust an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God who is incapable of lying? And so the Bible itself raises this comparison. As we read earlier, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 9, if we accept the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater because this is the testimony of God that He has testified concerning His Son. And so that's why... Biblical faith is not wish projection. Biblical faith is not positive thinking. Biblical faith is always a response to God's testimony. 
And so, as we saw last week, when God calls Abraham to leave his family, leave his homeland, promising to bless him as he goes, by faith, Abraham obeyed. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance. And he went out without understanding where he was going. So Abraham believed that he would become this worldwide blessing and have all these descendants that God had promised him. But what did his wife think about all of this? What did she think? And by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And I don't want us to overlook the significance of Sarah, this woman being included in this list, this dissertation about faith here. And so Abraham... It's called the father of faith. But we can see from the life of Abraham and Sarah that marriage is a faith partnership. And so God not only promised to give Abraham land, but he promised to give him descendants. And Abraham's going to need Sarah's participation in order for this to come about. And so from the biblical view, women are not important only because they bear children. And so the author of Hebrews makes it clear that Sarah, too, had faith and in partnership with Abraham helped usher into the course of humanity the salvation plan of God. And imagine this. Abraham walks into the tent one day and he says, Honey, I need you to pack everything up because we're out of here. Can you imagine this right now? So, you know, the first question Tressa would ask me if I walked in and said, Tressa, I need you to pack the whole house up. We're out of here. Well, probably maybe not the first question, but soon about. She'd say, Where are we going? Where are we going? What's the plan? And imagine if the answer was, well, I'm not, we're just going to head out and, and God's going to let us know when we get there. Now, I've been traveling before, and there have been some times when Google Maps has failed me, and I've been asked by people in my vehicle, where are we? Where are we going? And at times I've thought, I just wish the Lord would let me know where we are going. And we've come to, a, she's thinking here, we've come to a nice home. We've got a nice home here. We've got friends. We've got family. We've got we, our situation here is, is plant. We've got roots here. And you can't even tell me where we're going. And it seems as what Abraham said was God told us to go and he's going to lead us where we're going to go. And what did Sarah say? I'll get my bags. She said, I'll get my bags. The prophet Amos Declared, and if I may apply his words here in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? And whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's a business relationship, how can it continue to grow and, and, and flourish if the parties are not working together? And so never lose sight of how faith or how lack of faith is going to impact your marriage or your family. Young people, listen to these words. So Sarah is a ready partner on this journey of faith, but husbands also have the power to either discourage their wife or to propel her forward in her walk of faith. And so God's design is for marriage to be a faith partnership. And husbands, it's true that we are the appointed leaders of our family. And what it means is that we should be taking the initiative 
for the relationship and, and assuming the responsibility for what takes place in the home, making sure that all is well. But as the Apostle Peter reminds husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, that we are also to show them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. So before the Lord, we are equal. And it's notable how that just before Peter writes these words, he's talking about the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. You back up a little bit in that chapter. And he's talking about Abraham and Sarah. And he appeals to Sarah as this godly woman who's subject to her own husband and who is marked by this imperishable inward beauty of this gentle and quiet spirit. But you go back and read the story in Genesis 16 and you realize that Sarah was not some passive sideline coach. She had a strong will and she could be feisty at times, as it would seem. And yet she used that not to compete with Abraham, but to complete Abraham. And they were heirs together of all that God was promising. And yet they were not perfect. But as we know, God works through the flaws of people. And so on this journey to Canaan, they made this covenant with each other to lie. They're partners in faith, but they're also partners in sin. And so they were in danger. They they said, if we're in danger, here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, Sarah, we're going to say you're my sister. We're going to tell everybody you're my sister, and maybe that will help us out of a bind. And so they did that twice. And it may be easier to believe that she should be in a list of unbelieving people, because after she receives this promise of God, she expects she'll be pregnant in a month or two, right? I mean, for sure, a year or two. I mean, isn't that reasonable? I think it's reasonable to think that, but God didn't give them a timeline, so they reasoned one for themselves. They developed their own timeline to make this happen. And so year after year after year after year goes by, and she's frustrated, and what good is this promise doing her? And so Abraham, 75, God gives this promise. Let that sink in. 75 ain't quite our 75, but it's still 75. And so it receives this promise. It's well past the age of expecting any kind of reproduction. And when he's 86, there's no baby in the house. And so Sarah comes up with her own plan. And it's awful. It's awful. Genesis 16 and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram's like, well, if you insist, honey. So Sarah's desperate now. She goes way off the flight plan and Ishmael is born. And Hagar says, I mean, God says to Hagar, no, (laughs) this was not the plan. This was not the plan. And that other woman and that other child caused nothing but conflict in this home and resentment in this home. And so when we superimpose our will over the will of God, we illegitimize our faith. When we say, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, but we live life the way we want to live, we illegitimize that profession of faith. And so we find ourselves doing the same things when we have unfulfilled desires. I've prayed about this for days and weeks and years. And it hasn't happened. And we can create awkward situations because we begin applying our own wisdom to life instead of God's wisdom. And so we can try to force the outcome, forgetting or simply rejecting who actually said, as Isaiah writes, indeed, my plans, says the Lord, are not like your plans. 
And my deeds are not like your deeds, for just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds and my plans superior to your plans. We're not on the same level, God says. We're not thinking the same. And that's okay. Because we are human. And He is God. But He needs us to recognize that and remember that. And live by that. Sarah and Abraham had some serious flaws. But God's sovereign purposes go forward anyway. And that is great encouragement for me. There's not a single thing that Abraham and Sarah did or could have done that was going to stop God's eternal plan. And so about 13 years later, so the Lord God sent some visitors to Abraham. Genesis 18 and verse 10. One of them said, I will surely return to you when the season comes round again. And your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, not far behind him. And so finally now, we've got a date that we can mark on the calendar. Circle it on the calendar. It's going to be about a year. And Sarah, of course, begins rejoicing and praising God. No, she didn't. You know the story. Sarah is covering her mouth, trying not to spit her gum out as she's laughing about what she's hearing. And so Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, after I'm worn out, will I have pleasure? Especially when my husband is old too? Now, this all sounds pretty hilarious at this point. I mean, after all, we're told in verse 11 that Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Some translations would say the way of woman had left her. Isn't that a delicate way (laughs) to describe the situation? It's better, I guess, than what they said about Abraham. You know, he's good as dead. But I'll tell you what, husbands, if you ever introduce your wife as one in whom the way of woman has ceased, you are as good as dead. I could tell you that. So Sarah laughed to herself. She laughed because it sounds like a joke. In all of her circumstances, it sounds like a joke as she looks in the mirror. Can't you hear the cynicism? I mean, this is ridiculous now. For years, for years they have longed to have a child. He's nearly 100. She's nearly 90. Their baby-making days are definitely over. But the Lord has a question for them. The Lord has a question for them. Genesis 18:14 Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is it? Anything? Can, can you put one thing on paper that is too hard for the Lord? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing would be impossible for God. So you get that nursery ready, Sarah. And just as God promised, Isaac was born. And Sarah's faith wasn't rock solid at the beginning. Yet somewhere along the way, she came to trust the promise. Because Scripture says in Hebrews 11, by faith, how did she do this? How did she muster this? She mustered it by faith. She considered him faithful. By faith. How did Sarah show faith in God's promise? Well, Isaac wasn't conceived by the store. And he wasn't conceived through the Spirit as Jesus was. Here up in their 90s, 100 years old, Sarah must have winked at Abraham and said, What do you say? And don't miss the astounding faith that this demonstrated here. Sarah consented to the natural way of life. And in doing so, she demonstrated her faith in that very... Being, because faith without works is dead. 
So I wonder if those words were ringing in her ear. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything beyond the ability of God? And shouldn't that be our response in life? Is anything too hard for the Lord? When the trials of life come, when we're down on our knees, on our face, and we're praying to God, God, please get me through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it. We need to follow that up with, God, I know nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And that's a rhetorical question, by the way. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The expected answer is no. Obviously not. And the prophet Jeremiah provides his own answer when in the face of oppressive captivity... He says, Oh, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah 32, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And even in our section of Hebrews, we know that by faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, by the words of God, by his decree, so that what is seen was made out of what was not seen. So that's the power of God's Word. If He is the God who made the heavens and earth out of nothing, then surely He's able to keep the promises that He makes. Just like the one He kept with Abraham and Sarah. God is faithful. However, the people He uses to accomplish His purposes are not most impressive. (laughs) So when God works through humanity, it's not because we are so awesome. It's despite the fact that we are not. And through the life of Abraham and Sarah, we see sins repeated and we see struggles with doubt and and inconsistency. And yet God is so gracious. He's so gracious. And Hebrew 11 says nothing about Sarah's unbelief. Records nothing about her laughter. Nothing about the complaints that we read about in Genesis. And I think no one would be more surprised to see their name in this chapter than perhaps Sarah would be. You think she felt she hadn't lived up to what God was expecting of her? In terms of faith? No. She didn't feel that. Certainly she didn't feel like she hadn't lived up to what God expected. Well, if we think that about Sarah, then why do we feel that way about ourselves? Why do we look down on ourselves like that? For by grace, Paul writes, you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. God remembered Sarah's faith. He is still sovereign even when we doubt. He remains gracious even when we sin. And those should be the greatest incentives to not doubt and to not sin and to live faithful. And we should also recognize these as an incentive to wait. To wait for fulfilled promises. And waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. Especially when you can't see the front of the line. (laughs) How much longer? When are we going to get there? When is this going to end? And I appreciate at theme parks, many of them, when, when you're in line for a ride, they have these signs that says, your wait from this point is approximately 45 minutes. I appreciate those. I like that. And when we're traveling, a lot of times on on expressways, larger areas, you'll see a sign that says, you know, uh, time to the next interchange is 28 minutes or 10 minutes or 7 minutes. No delays. I love that. I love knowing. No delays. Not going to take me long at all. But that is not the way it is when you're traveling the road of faith. 
So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. I do not like to wait. But those who know the Lord are always waiting. We're always waiting. Not in uncertainty, but with expectancy. Isaiah says in chapter 40, He gives me strength to those who are tired. To the ones who lack power, He gives renewed energy. Even youths get tired and weary. Even strong young men clumsily stumble. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. And God promised Abraham a land. He promised him family. And Abraham died without seeing that land. All he saw was a son of promise, a son of illegitimacy, and a couple of grandsons. That's all he had. We know from Hebrews 11.10 that Abraham had his sights on something permanent, something beyond, something eternal, an eternal city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And that's for the family part. Abraham and Sarah trusted God. So in fact, children were fathered by one man. And this one as good as dead, like the number of the stars in the sky and the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. And Abraham's son Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had twelve sons, and those twelve sons became the tribes of Israel. And through them, God did indeed multiply the descendants of Abraham. And so they became, just as God promised, as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as the, the sand on the sea. But remember, Isaac wasn't born until 25 years after the promise a long time to wait. Abraham and Sarah lived their lives childless for a century. Abram, which his birth name means exalted father. His name Abraham, father of a multitude. And How many times did he introduce himself only to have them ask, so tell me exalted father, how many children do you have? And Sarah at that time, she had no value to society if she bore no children. Reduced to slave. Waiting on people. How many years did she question God every time she saw a couple welcome a new baby? We've dealt with that. And I know many of you have too. God opened Sarah's womb. But the problem I have is it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always do it. And there are other areas in life where we look around and we've got to realize I'm never going to have that experience. That's never going to happen for me or to me. And my prayer is that we as a church family would grow in our sensitivity to one another. Recognizing the situations that some of us face in life the uncertainties of life, and that more and more we would learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we would weep with those who weep. And when we come face to face with the promises of God in Scripture, that we must understand not every promise is mine. Not every promise is mine. And not every promise is yours. Centuries later, 
God would tell Joshua that these children of Abraham were ready to enter the promised land, that everywhere they placed their foot, God is going to give them that land. He promised them that. Everywhere you place your foot, I will give that to you. What if I claim that promise? What if I come over to your house this afternoon and I start prancing around your yard and saying, mine, mine, mine. You say, what are you doing? I said, well, God told me, he promised me. Everywhere I place my foot, he's going to give me that land. No, he didn't. That's not your promise. We've got to be careful. That's extreme. <laughs> but I fear we convince ourselves that every success in life is because of faith and every failure in life is because of a lack of faith. It is not. That is not scriptural. God never promised you a successful career. He never promised you a nice house. He never promised you a spouse. He never promised you children. He never promised you good health. But, 2 Peter 1, His divine power has bestowed on us, what? Everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the One who called us by His own glory and excellence. And through these things He has bestowed on us His precious and most magnificent promises. But God, I want this. But God, I need this. But God, they have that. He has bestowed on us His precious and most magnificent, the best promises. So that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature. After escaping the worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. And so there are many of the promises of his book that are mine and are yours. They are precious and they are divine. Some of those promises we're going to experience in this life. We're going to experience his strength. We'll experience his joy, his provision. We experience his love, his protection. But none of these fulfill all of the good things that God intends for you. Because some of these promises are not going to be fulfilled until we get to that city with foundation. That city whose architect, whose designer, whose builder is God. Just like Abraham and Sarah. So when God leaves us longing in circumstances of life, just this, this season of longing, I wonder if He's teaching us that we shouldn't get too attached to this world. I wonder if He's teaching me to keep my heart focused on what He has in store for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what is in store is possible because the God who is faithful has promised. The same God that promised Sarah and Abraham to bless their descendants has promised to bless me in Christ Jesus. Jesus came through the lineage of Abraham and all who turn from their sins and who put their faith in God and are baptized into Christ Jesus are children of Abraham. And heirs to the eternal promise. And so we, we are the stars. And we are the sand that God asked Abraham to count, to number. It's us. And just as God's promise was not fulfilled through Hagar, His promise is not dependent on anything that we can accomplish on our own. Any plan that we devise. Because Jesus has accomplished it all. He has finished it. All for us. And so it's His glory, His work, His reward to share with us. It's because of this, it's understanding this, that we can also understand how all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. 
Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Those are the children of obedience. That His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and many sisters. These stories of old, they strengthen our faith. Because we see how a God, the God of creation, can be faithful. For eternity. If he could be faithful thousands of years ago with Abraham and Sarah, then his promise eternally is also true and faithful. The Lord has a will. And I have a need to follow that will. To humbly be still. To rest in it. Nest in it. Truly be blessed in it. Following my Father's will. His will is that we live our lives by faith. By faith in His promises. By faith in His assurance. By faith in His salvation. It's in Jesus Christ. And a lot of that fulfillment is not going to be known until we reach eternity. And that's the struggle with this life. But God walks with us each day. Strengthens us. He strengthens us through the family of Christ. The body of Christ. His children. As we encourage one another and remind one another to live by faith. This morning, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with unfulfilled promises. Maybe your faith is weakened. I want to pray for you. Pray with you this morning. Maybe you've realized by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That through Him, we have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven. And we have a home, a mansion, a house not built with man's hands, but built by God, eternal in the heavens. And no one is going to get there. No one's going to enter the door without the key. And that key is Jesus Christ. And this morning, you can be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of God's Spirit, the promise of that eternal life. How are you walking today? If there's a limp in your life because of sin, will you confess it to God and ask His forgiveness? If you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, the water is ready. The decision is yours. And we will rejoice with you we can help in any way this morning. Will you come as we stand and sing?